from Immersive Labs, this is Cyber Humanity. Hello again, I'm your host, Chris Pace. Cyber Humanity is the podcast taking cyber security personally, trying to get inside the heads of hackers, as well as putting our feet in the shoes of defenders. These podcasts essentially come in two flavors, either us ranting about themes close to the hearts of security types, or us chatting about threat and security stuff from recent weeks. This episode is another one of those, and I'm joined by fellow members of my cyber boy band, Kev Breen, Max Vetter, and Paul Bentham. Hello. Hello. Well, we start uh, this week in a place that Max Vetter loves, uh, the dark web. It's the best web. Are we low on ratings, Chris? Is that why we're doing dark web? <laughs> <laughs> we need to start putting more dark web related stuff in the summaries of the podcast to try and drive up some of the traffic. Yeah. Because I don't know what it is about the dark web. Maybe it is because it's got the word dark in it or it's got this mystique about about it or because it doesn't seem like it's a thing that's accessible to a lot of people i don't know but anyway whatever it is um it always drives a lot of interest and i think it it is because people feel like they're getting this insight into the kind of hacker mentality and this report from armor which has come i had a load of stuff in it about um what's going on in dark web marketplaces and things being offered and sold and bought and all that kind of stuff but the most one of the most interesting things to come out of it from our point of view obviously was hacktown Welcome to Hacktown, guys. Is it an actual place? Can I listen? Uh, you, <laughs> let me tell you uh, all about Hacktown. Hacktown is designed to teach you more about cybercrime and how to become a professional cybercriminal in 2020. Oh, a professional cybercriminal. The best kind of cybercriminal. Hang on a sec. So I wanted something that would teach me the techniques, tactics, and procedures needed to be a successful cybercriminal without all the... Bull beep. We could just put the E logo on this. You don't have to say bull beep. And you don't have to... We can afford sound effects, Kev. You don't have to bleep yourself out. Uh, so it's been around since April. Uh, updated September 9th. Oh, do you have to pay for it? It's $125 for access uh, to all of the training material. Uh, although there are four courses uh, for free. Uh, and if we track the blockchain uh, for the Bitcoin address, it's had three transactions. Uh, so a whole three people have bought it. But let me introduce you to Funshine. Um, this course was written by me, Funshine. Who the fuck am I? I was a freelance black hat, nation state contractor, dark web fisher, spoofer, forum lurking master, ex-associate-ish at well-known hacking firm who made a lot of money through cybercrime. Now, this is a guy you can trust. When he says at well-known hacking firm, does he mean like a hacking firm as in like... If a professional said firm, you'd be like, oh, the company that they work at. Whereas if a gangster says firm, it means like the gang that they're in. So does he mean like he's a gangster? You <laughs> <laughs> honestly don't know. Um, but I mean, so he's got, there are four courses which you can view for free without having to pay for. Uh, and these courses are OPSEC, Wi-Fi hacking, network attacks and carding. So uh, how to steal credit card numbers and where to buy them and what to do with them. And uh, reading through them, 
there's actually quite a bit of like interesting useful information i mean none of it's his it's all stolen and uh, copied from other places of the internet <laughs> well of course it is because i don't know if you know he's a forum lurking <laughs> master so i never expected that you were going to tell us this was all original content. Uh, he's just rewritten it um like to put himself as the author um but that brings us in his unique in yeah, his, uni- in his own unique, unique, unique way, style which gives us some things like uh Making your crypto completely anonymous to spend on whatever your heart desires, like heroin or crack, most likely. <laughs> no, <actual ways>. <laughs> <laughs> so he's on about buying um, a a burner phone, uh, and he says like, go miles away from where you live, uh, buy it like um, like disguise yourself and don't use it for thirty days afterwards. The CCTV's overwritten. Uh, and he says, in any event, take efforts to disguise yourself when you're buying a burner phone. Sunglasses, hats, wigs, etc. cetera. <laughs> <laughs> um, in fairness, these aren't things that you would have thought of when you're buying a burner phone. <laughs> uh, and then the other one I really loved, uh, he's talking about PGP encryption. So uh, encrypting messages to each other. Uh, before you encrypt any messages to your drug cartel gangbangers, uh, you need their public key. <laughs> This is this is a kid. You know what? You know who's written this. This is a kid that's played too much Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it reads like to me. Somebody's been playing Grand Theft Auto since they were six years old, and now they're twelve, and they've decided that they're like elite. The one thing I will say that so there is a danger here. So, like, whilst this information is like broadly available, and like he talks about hacking Wi-Fi networks, uh, and the the materials copied from a uh, a pen testing website. Uh, so it is accurate information, but he does put a criminal context uh, into all of this training. So, like, he is effectively teaching people how to be cyber criminals. Uh, it's a real thing that's happening. Yeah, the angle seems to be that um, the focus is on what he what he describes as personal profit. It's like rather than just I'm showing you a way that a thing could be vulnerable, instead I'm showing you how you can exploit that vulnerability as a way to basically make yourself money yeah and like he does go into like in the opsec stuff he teaches you how to create um like properly secure emails using like tor based uh, email providers and stuff like that so he does go into some detail on how you can um and they are fairly effective techniques that he's describing uh there's obviously uh mitigations against most of it but they're effective nonetheless and 125 dollars uh, it's cheaper than most universities. It's a bargain. lot cheaper than most. Yeah, complete <laughs> bargain. So you know, I mean, there's there's something really interesting here, isn't there? One hundred and twenty five dollars to learn how to hack like like a criminal without any of the kind of response. That's so cheap. I mean, we've talked about this before with like the the old original gangsters, like just spewing Bitcoin around the place, like it's monopoly money. Like, do are we worried here that these that this is actually going to take off? I know you only said there's like two people who signed up, but there's, I think there's a responsibility here, isn't there, for more, I don't know, like more responsible education on on cyber? Well, it's one of the, of course, it's one of the big problems about, um, it, by definition, anything that would help somebody understand how to secure things has to, by definition, also ensure that they understand how things can be ex- can be exploited. Um, so it, it it is a bit of a a bit of a perennial challenge, isn't it? In in um, in cybersecurity generally, and in cybersecurity development of cybersecurity skills, is that you have to open 
you have to open a window into understanding the motivation of the attacker in order to be able to effectively defend. And so you might argue it's kind of the same as that, just more explicitly tar- focused on the, the bad side. Well, that's kind of it's kind of the reason the cyber industry is actually interesting, right? Is if if there were no hackers doing the bad stuff and we were just learning some interesting kind of I don't know, networking things, uh, there's no interest to it apart from the fact that bad guys can use it to do bad things, and that's why people love doing red teaming and hacking and ethical hacking because it's cool when you do it. You're like, oh, I'm I'm like a hacker, and so in a way, that's a major part of the industry being like interesting for all of us to be part of because it is like criminals use the same tools that we're using to secure things. <laughs> so one of the things that uh, one of the challenges is of course access to the right kinds of uh, content to help people go in the right direction. Although the, the actually the argument would be it's much easier to find the right kinds of content than it is to find this kind of content. You have to already be able to use the dark web in order to get to in order to get to this stuff. Um but yeah, the idea of building a the idea of building a community edition of immersive labs is to open um and is to open up our world firstly and to give people anyone an opportunity to get hands on with cool stuff in cyber that hopefully um, means that they're directing energy in that way as opposed to in in any other more nefarious way um back to a point that you were making though um, max about the kind of the nature of the industry i think it's also a reason why so many people will download a report that is called the dark web whatever it was called the what was it called? The Dark Web Marketplace Report. or The 2020 Dark Market Report. Yeah. The New Economy. Because there is a inherent fascination with the, with the badness of hackers. Can I just say I have an issue with this, this report? Um, just, just one issue, let me. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few issues oh, I have. I've got, he's got, I think everybody, you'll get, pull up a chair, yeah, get your cup of so, tea on. I think Max has got a rant coming. I don't, I don't know much about Armour. Um, might be a great company, whatever. But they, <laughs> the, the, the team that wrote this oh, report God. is called the Threat Resistance Unit. Uh, T-R-U. The T-R-U. Yeah. yeah, not the G-R-U. The TIU. It sounds a bit like GIU, so that's even cooler. We're doing a deep dive into <laughs> underground hacker markets and forums. And this is a kind of, everyone knows I love the, the dark web. Uh, I, I, I like it because it is a kind of um, a window into the, the stuff that most people don't see. And it's not hard to actually get there. It's, they say they call it the dark web, but it's it's really uh, pretty easy. You just you just Google how to do it. Um, and this, it's trivial. It just, it does kind of uh, seep with, uh, we we want to do some marketing for ourselves, so we call. We, we've basically gone and looked on the dark dark web, which is pretty much the same as just googling nowadays. Like it's not hard to get on there, and then we've created this thirty seven page report by our, our threat resistance unit because what we're, it must be some kind of terrorists or something that we're working against now. It's not just um, not just hackers, and and a lot of it, you know, it's just. They found some cool stuff. And obviously that that website in it is really interesting to cover, but a lot of it is just they've just cut and pasted from the dark web into this report. And it's a bit yeah, I I think it's more of a marketing thing than actually any useful threat intelligence. So that's Well, no, of course it's not, because they want to sell you that. 
I mean, they want to sell you that part. So they'll, pro- yeah. they'll provide you with the, the um, very broad brushes of what are the kinds of things that are going on on the dark web. And what, they're, what they then want you to do is to invest in getting dark web threat intelligence that is you know, su- supposedly unique to, you know, unique to your organization or beneficial to your organization in some way. I think the problem with that is that without a lot of work, it's actually pretty hard to find anything that would be of any real direct relevance to an organization um, and protecting and protecting themselves other than things like, you know, potentially new vulnerabilities that are being exploited um, and maybe intellectual property occasionally bubbling to the surface and where to go to pay your ransom and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, four, I mean, four pages of this is just screenshots of this dark web, um, you know, Hackertown, which is kind of like, yeah, why, why are you, why are you downloading this report? Just, just go download tour and have a look at it yourself. If you're, if it's that big a threat, um, and as Kevin said, if there's three people paying for it, it's clearly not. Well, that's the other thing. So, so did they reference? Do they reference in the in the report that only three people have uh, have paid for it? Uh, no. So I went and manually tracked the uh, the blockchain. You've given them away there, uh, Kev, because <laughs> basically what they wanted what they want to try to do is to present this idea that oh look, there's this place where hackers are going to learn to be hackers and it's a university for hackers and in the, the, you know the, the picture you've constructed in your mind is thousands of eastern europeans you know shelling out 97 pounds or 125 dollars to go and learn to be elite hacker when it turns out that like three guys have, <laughs> have actually coughed up for it might just be might just be the same guy one of them is probably a test yeah <laughs> yeah I, I, this is actually i know that we're all like whatever but this actually i'm finding it quite interesting and i'll tell you why i'll tell you why on page seven of this report it tells you for ten dollars you can get a thousand podcast downloads <laughs> what that's a bargain i mean i do i do i knew i know someone who did buy loads of followers because they they were trying to be an influencer or whatever and and you always get found out because eventually Twitter was it max alvetta yeah max alvetta.wordpress.com <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't listened to the episode where we make fun of max's wordpress i really encourage you to do so um, the interesting thing about this ec- economy is that i can't the prices are just ridiculous the i don't understand how you can e- even begin to make money like you can for $185 destroy a target's business. Well, what does that mean? I mean, there's, there's some of this which is, you know, that they've gone through and the average price of uh, a fake credit card and, you know, they vary in different regions. And so some of it is like, okay, that might be interesting for financial whatever. But there's some of it they clearly just found one website that someone was saying something on the dark web. We just basically made it up trying to sell his wares and they've just stick it in there which is a bit lazy like you can do a bit more analysis of, of any uh intelligence on the dark web rather than just like oh i found some new websites that went up. this is the point isn't it you this is like me this is like me going down to the dog and duck on a friday night and listening to terry and derek tell me that they're going to knock over you know they're going to knock over the pawn shop on the corner, and me going, "Oh, that's credible intelligence." I'm going to go straight to the police. Like, of course, you're basically taking the word of someone who is 
in, inherently and fundamentally dishonest, and then saying, and then saying, oh, that's definitely intelligence. Well, I guess that's why this report's dangerous, isn't it? Because Luddites like me look at it and go, well, somebody's put some effort into this. This must be intelligence rather than just copy and paste off the dark web. This report shows like the surface of the dark web. So the dark web has layers. And I think we've spoken about this before. And what we're talking about here, uh, and like Max alluded to, is really easy to get to. Like just download Tor, like hit one of the the wikis uh, and you'll find the dark web. There's another layer below that where it's invite only professionals. um, And like there's some stuff on Revil we're going to talk about in a a bit. Uh, And this is the darker side of dark web. And that's where the real malware is traded. That's where the zero days are traded. That's where like all of that kind of access, that hidden stuff, that's all traded there. And that, unless you're active in those scenes, unless you're actively exploiting, buying, spending criminal money, you're unlikely to get a foot into that environment to be able to report on it. Yeah, and that, and that is the more interesting stuff, from uh, especially from Intel, threat intel and cyber point of view, is that that's the stuff that the zero days aren't going to be on open you know, um, dark web websites where, you know, there's ones where you say you can buy an assassin. It doesn't mean there's actually an assassin there. You know, you don't just put it in a report. Oh, you can kill someone for $100. It's like, well, no, someone put a website up. There's this other article that's out this week about Revil putting a million dollars in a Bitcoin a- account. Is this on the dark web as well? So to, to get the kind of hackers for hire thing so that they can do their whole ransomware as a service, idea i thought this was quite fascinating this week because we've got this whole like we've just been talking about how like this maybe slightly dubious report is kind of showing you the kind of economy of the dark web and we've always talked about ransomware as a service and i've never really understood and understood the economics of it and and what is in it for the people who are writing the ransomware and what is in it for people who are getting onto the servers and here we have a million i mean that's serious money like i think it's 99 bitcoins isn't it like that's serious money uh we know that we've we've talked about revil and sonic EB and uh like these new wave of ransomware as a service and they don't do all the heavy lifting themselves so they operate with affiliates uh the idea being that one of your affiliates will like i create the ransomware i run the c2 i run all the distribution i make sure that it's undetectable uh you buy it off me uh, well, you, I give you, you. You sign up with me as an affiliate. I give it to you for free. You seed it out to as many places as you can get. And if you get a successful infection, like you keep eighty percent, I'll take twenty percent off the top. So them dumping one million into a Bitcoin address is effectively them saying, "Look, we do make money. Come join our affiliate scheme." Like this is proof that we can actually monetize this this thing we're doing. If they're taking a cut, it is in their interests to attempt to scale as effectively as possible. The other thing we also know is we know that as effective as any um, as a service um, uh, malicious thing is, it nearly always has a limited shelf life. It, it, It eventually gets to a point where it can't where either it can't be sustained or the heat is too great. We've seen that happen so many times where these, um, they either take themselves down um, or it all gets burnt or it gets uncovered by law enforcement or whatever it is. But they, they know that they basically have a limited window of time to scale as quickly as possible to maximize um, what they can, what they can do. And I think that's the, I think that's probably the reason for the reason for, for this. 
it's i mean it's amazing that they are continuing to exist un, un unhindered by any law enforcement i mean have we got to assume that they're sort of in deepest darkest russia russia slash china slash iran slash uh, north korea at this point i think it's pretty obviously russia because there wasn't this post on a russian yeah they're in some in russian forums i mean i would say though if there's one thing that we know about revil at this point it's that they have massive massive balls <laughs> we, so that so none of this should be a surprise to us revil were the first to start um you know to create the, the forum weren't they the um you know the blog and they were the, the first to side. go. They were the first to sort of attempt to publicly shame their victims into paying. They were the first to start stealing um, data and threatening to threatening to release it. They are both ruthless and confident. So this is this does not surprise me at all. That's one way of putting a, a target on you. Like they dropped it in a Bitcoin account, which is traceable. You know, it depends whether they've put it into Monero and then back into Bitcoin or how how they're actually trying to hide that. But that's. That's a big target on them just going. So again, like it's interesting, like choice that they're making. Does he just on a, on a little bit of te- um, technical insight, I'd like to try and get here. So is this saying that, so I'm just reading the description here and it says that the ransomware developers receive a 20 to 30% cut and the affiliate gets 70 to 80% of the ransom payments that they generate. Does that mean that the infrastructure itself is all connected together. So if I am the developer, I can see what my affiliates are earning so that I know that I'm getting the cut that I should be getting, or am I trusting them to give me what they should be getting? There are two different models to this, and one of them's kind of going away. What used to happen uh, when you were running these kind of affiliate links is you would send out your malware, it would automatically run, and it would connect back to the attacker's infrastructure they would see the incoming connections and then they would take over from there. What we've seen uh, with people like Revil and Evil Corp is they've shifted away from that C2 um, because it's trackable and detectable. Uh, And they've gone to a, you must contact us. Um, So what will typically happen uh, in these kind of situations is uh, the affiliate will either hand over communication to uh, Revil and they'll do the exchange there or the affiliates will do the negotiation. And at this point, the only people who hold the keys are Revil. So the affiliate will say, this is the ransom with whatever proof they've got. This is how much we got. Here's your 20%. Now you give me the decryption keys and then they'll forward those right. on. So basically, there's so there must be an element of trust there because it feels to me like in that in this, the situation that you described there, they could actually say that they got paid less potentially right they could they could find some way of almost hiding what they really got paid the one thing that um like hackers on the dark web love is a really good escrow service Uh, and you'll find the dark web is full of escrow services for exactly this reason um for trust um so there are for trusted escrow services on the dark web uh, and they are used by the majority of hackers uh, for exactly this reason where you where you don't know the other person you can trust the escrow service because the escrow service has got 10 years worth of history of uh, doing valid escrow 
Moving along then. So also this week, HP Device Manager, which to be honest, a few of us didn't really know what it was. We had to do a bit of Googling around to figure it out. But essentially, seems like it is a manager for HP thin clients, which are basically highly managed um, laptops that you can have um, to use in your to use in your business. Um, a researcher has uncovered the fact that there is a backdoor database user account that basically undermines all of the network security that helps to keep that thing uh, to keep that thing safe. Now that is not the most interesting thing about it. The most interesting thing about it is all of the handbags that has gone on in the background about the disclosure. So it's one of those things where it's like the threat itself is a little bit like, oh yeah, that's quite bad that you can just backdoor straight into that thing that controls all the laptops in on your network. Um, but more interestingly um, is all the chit chat about um the researcher trying to uh trying to disclose this so um kev you've been looking at this a little bit what actually has got for first of all when did he first disclose this uh on or around the 3rd of august uh, of this year he was looking at uh, hp device management and i think he's a an admin uh, and he was looking at some logs trying to figure out what was going wrong and he noticed that there was this uh in the in one of the logs, there was a highly privileged database account where the password was space. Uh, and he thought <laughs> strong password. I like that. <laughs> Might try like, that myself. That's that's a bit weird. It's a bit of an odd thing to to have there. Um, so he started digging into it and then found that yeah, okay, you can do some damage to that. And on uh, the third of August, he contacted HP. Uh, to disclose details. It wasn't just that. He found some other stuff after he started diving into it as well. Um, so he contacted HP, did the right thing. HP, you've got a problem. Silence. Is this like what happened when you spoke uh, to Nando's? Like you got into like, is my chicken too cold? <laughs> like, hi, HP, how may I help you? I found a massive vulnerability in one of your uh, serious pieces of software. Mm-hmm. Like, press one for my laptop won't start. Press two. <laughs> But my printers ran out. So, of um, <laughs> yeah. So he he then like tried again, and this time he explained uh, that he was going to follow a thirty day uh, disclosure, uh, where after thirty days he was going to publish everything. Uh, at which point HP went, "Ooh, uh, hang on a second, please. Uh, we would like ninety days uh, to fix this," uh, and that was on August the nineteenth. At that point, and I'm going to read this out. Uh, Bloor was not inclined to just wait around for HP. I'm paid to help people secure their IT environments applications, but I also don't have the time to waste chasing HP and hoping that somebody uh, in 90 plus days, they will produce a patch that will help me to secure my client's environments. He said the fix for the most severe part of this issue is trivial. So 90 plus days is a joke. Uh, And then uh, two days ago, uh, well within that 90 days so he didn't bother waiting uh he published details it does appear like he went through his original 30 days um and so there is no defined disclosure uh most people will operate on a 30 60 or 90 days um, and you usually say that up front you'll say that this is what i'm saying and if you get somebody who's responsive um then like you work with them and we've done this um with some of the disclosures that we've gone through um like we've said we want to disclose they've asked us to delay or wait and like we've been happy to delay uh for some of those reasons turns out uh 
he wasn't quite so willing to wait 90 days. It's weird, it's weird isn't it? Because I hear you tell the story, and there are times I'm hearing you telling the story, and I'm thinking, ah, like, that's bad form, you should have given them a chance to. And then there's other parts of the story where I'm like, no, the guy's totally right. You know that they're saying 90 days to basically keep him quiet while they have loads of time to mull over what they're going to do because they're a gigantic corporation and it takes them like 10 years to turn anywhere and and he's he he knows he's going to get caught up in all of that machinery doesn't he and when they came back with 90 the 90 day request like they didn't come back answering any of the questions or validating anything they just came back with a we want 90 days no yes okay it's a thing 90 days like they just came back and said no um uh, the day or so on Tuesday, so maybe a day after the announcement came out, uh, HP acknowledged the security blunder uh, and have assigned uh, one, two, three CVEs, uh, the biggest of which is a 9.9 out of 10. Not quite a perfect 10. <laughs> oh, not a 10. Oh. Uh, don't touch that button. No, no, don't touch that button. That button is explicitly for perfect tense you know what the punchline is for this whole thing hp patched it yesterday <laughs> you got, so so it turned out they didn't need i mean but the, all that's done really in my mind is justified his view as the researcher i mean it's a it's a it's a very odd dynamic this whole like researcher uncovers vulnerability discloses vulnerability to gigantic corporation gigantic corporation suddenly becomes in control of that narrative like how is that i'm not sure as a marketer how how okay i am with that like why should the why does the gigantic corporation suddenly get to own the narrative i found the vulnerability like if they are unresponsive or if they make unrealistic demands especially in this context where he knew it was a relatively easy fix then i sort of feel like he's well within his rights there's a little bit of a like it like throwing your teddies out of the pram kind of just dump it on twitter um, but yeah, arguably, like you're absolutely right, and that's why we have disclosure in place. It's to force companies to fix their stuff when it's broken. I think the thing that's really um, salty about this whole exchange, though, is that these obviously feeling like he deserves a book bounty for this, like, and <laughs> right, and but rightly so, right? This is like if he'd have found this in Apple, Apple would have been boom, hundred k done, and, and he'd be and <laughs> rightly so because it's a pretty serious vulnerability, nine point nine. Like and, and of course he's gone. I'm just going to spew this onto the internet. And he's, <laughs> and he's burnt any kind of um, bug bounty for a load of personal credibility, which is great. And of course the you know upshot is the internet's a little bit of a safer place because or well, enterprise are a bit of a safer place because because he did so. He has gone for the transparent disclosure over the responsible disclosure route, and yet again. It has worked. So, I, I mean, I'm going to start making a list of these every time somebody is ready to say, nope, I'm going to out you, gigantic company. You need to sort this out as soon as. Weirdly enough, they get patched. Isn't that odd? Yeah, so uh, HP do have the HP SSRT, uh, which is their security vulnerability reporting team. Uh, sorry, their software security response team. So they do have a team. Uh, there's a notification on Hacker HackerOne uh, for HP on how to report things. So um, it's surprising that they weren't like better at this. Or maybe then again, maybe it's not surprising. I've never dealt with HP uh, myself. Well, we are putting a lot of credence on 
this chappy's tweets aren't we i mean it could be that he did email like support at hp.com and said hey i found some like vulnerabilities and they were like click, <laughs> click one two and so maybe you know maybe he didn't try i don't know but in two in in 2020 where vulnerabilities bring down companies that that's not okay anymore and this um i mean Sean Sean Wright was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about exactly this thing, this this we take your security seriously platitude. And the reality is that if somebody contacts an organization through a channel, a communication channel that is the way to get in touch with them, the people who man that channel should be trained to understand when someone says, I am a security researcher, I have discovered a vulnerability, there should be a process for that, even if they have emailed support at hp.com. Those things in this day and age need fixing because these vulnerabilities are like, and this one, you know, 9.9, it's not, it's not mucking around. It's, it's, it's pretty serious. I'm, um, I'm my favorite, my favorite company for a responsible disclosure. So mine to F5 in July should be finally patched uh, I knew you wouldn't be able to resist it <laughs> do you know that how we know how long that has been dragging on for the number of podcasts that that has featured on <laughs> <laughs> maybe that could be your disclosure policy I'll do 20 podcasts before I disclose this <laughs> So in an interesting crossover between sort of real gangsters and cyber criminals, Polish police this week have shut down a hacking supergroup, their term, involved in bomb threats, ransomware and uh, sim jacking. This is quite mad. Once you get into this story, this whole thing is quite crazy but i will try to give you a kind of summary and then we'll get into how this could have actually uh, happened in in real life but basically this hacking supergroup um was involved in a multitude of cyber operations four suspects were arrested this week four more were already uh, under investigation and had been under investigation since may of 2019 and the way this all started was that an individual named Lukash K, they haven't identified him fully, had found these hackers on internet forums and hired them to send a bomb threat to a local school. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's a bit weird. Wow. Why would you do that? <laughs> that's messed up. Right? <laughs> but the reason he was doing it was to make the email look like it came from a business rival. So basically to get the hackers to spoof the guy's identity, send the email and make it look like it was him that was threatening the school. So the guy whose identity was spoofed, he was arrested. He spent two days in prison before the police had figured out what happened. And then when the framed businessman was released from jail, he then hired a private investigator no to try way. to track down who, I mean, cool. right? Yeah. Try to track down who had done it. He must, he must have known that they, these guys must have had, you know, beef. You know, he was like, I know it's you. I just need to find out how, how I know it's you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, uh, but in in these crime shows, isn't that like the first thing they ask? But oh no, this guy's dead. Who, like who who had it? Like who did he have? Who did he, and he recently disagreed with anyone? It's the business like, partner with the knife. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the business partner in the office with the revolver. Well, you know what's great about this story? I've it, proper criminals are getting involved. Like I've always felt that cyber crime was like 
you know, a little bit like nerdy and like a little bit like in the background. It wasn't like proper criminals. I know that there's actual proper, proper bad stuff, but it's not really bad. Like, but these are actual bad criminals. These are the kind of ones that are on TV. I think Kev is going to disagree because I think what we see, the way that cybercrime often works is that the nerdy geeks are recruited by the real criminals as a basically like adding them to their portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. So they do the the hacky bit, but they've still got the muscle to do all the horrible stuff, which this one, you know, is amazing. What they've then uncovered is another thousand bomb threats that they sent to what two yeah 200 kindergartens were evacuated a thousand of them uh sent bomb threats uh, hang on asking bomb for threats ransom. were set to a thousand and sixty six kindergartens but only 275 were in <laughs> oh, there, 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 there is there are so many i have so many questions that come out of even just that one sentence first of all if you're going to like bomb threaten anyone in an attempt to extort one uh, uh, the grand sum of one thousand three hundred dollars from them right why kindergartens <laughs> i don't even i don't even know where to begin are kindergartens to ask. in poland like particularly well off like are they are they known as being successful businesses that you would definitely well none of that makes any sense I mean, you've got down a weird rabbit hole there i don't understand why we're even why are you doing this to kindergartens like there's proper businesses in poland like what why are we doing kindergartens but then coming back to the actual hacking bit of it they'd actually go, then it goes on to say they're also involved in ransomware rats fishing swim swap sim swapping and and all the rest as well yeah it's just obviously that the the um the bomb threats to kindergartens is up <laughs> there most a, important you know, bit. A, 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 it, as a great well, as a great headline for an article trust me it's the best one yeah <laughs> um, but they they have distributed malware via, via email phishing attacks which to be honest just isn't quite as good a headline max if i if i'm being honest but i do want a super group why like you yeah you mentioned that earlier but why why are they defined as super i think it's to do with the i think it's maybe to do with the the scale of it like and the fact that they are just involved in so much stuff because a super group is like where you have people come in and out of it like big names come in and out of it but it's basically like either one guy or two guys that don't change and i think it's a bit like that right it's that it's like if they if they're doing a gig one week that is i don't know sim jacking they get like they they get the sim jackers in and that's what they do for that week and then next week they move on to remote access trojans for example that's quite an interesting so uh the hackers tried to steal two million from one victim this hack was stopped when the bank called the victim's phone number to confirm the transactions. Now, the victim's phone number was SIM-swapped. So when the bank phoned, they reached the hackers. Now, the only reason this wasn't successful is because apparently the bank didn't recognise the customer's voice from previous conversations. (laughs) The bank? (laughs) The only thing that stopped $2 million being stolen was I didn't recognise your voice. I thought you were going to say the only thing that stopped them was that they didn't know their mother's maiden name. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
no, didn't recognise its regular customer's voice from previous conversations. The bank official. That's amazing. Well yeah. done. Well done, that bank. <laughs> yeah. I think the reason why this article's even an article is because, for once, they fe- caught some criminals. I mean, you look at what they've stolen here. 147,000 euros, a few b- bomb threats. This isn't exactly, you know, top-tier cybercrime, is it? Like, it's... It's hard, they've hardly stolen anything compared to what, some of the ransomware payments that we see. So I think the fake bomb alerts are are what makes them what probably like bump them up the the most wanted because yeah maybe but threatening to bomb children is is pretty extreme when it comes to and I didn't get to the end of the story with the private investigator so basically the private investigator who uh, tried to track down the culprits behind the fake bomb alert and then when the hackers realized what was happening they hacked a polish mobile operator to generate invoices for thousands of pounds in the name of the private eye and the businessman who was originally framed so they were like pretty serious about yeah it was all very like i sort of to me this isn't just cyber crime this is almost like the cyber vendetta almost it's just like it's like good old-fashioned gangster stuff but using computers which is great they could turn this into a movie and maybe this is why they've been caught because it got too personal. I think maybe mm. um, cyber criminals need to treat their victims uh, like cattle and not like pets. <laughs> 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 okay, and it's a pleasure to say that, as always, I, I love that this has become a regular feature. Uh, we will wrap up with Hackers Could. Um, and we are, now, this one does not have hackers could in the headline um and it isn't really about hackers at all but it's just such a great story that we couldn't not talk about it so here is the headline internet old tv caused village broadband outages for 18 months 18 months and if you read the story the best thing is that the person clearly woke up every morning 7 a.m turned on their television and the electrical interference emitted by it was affecting the broadband for the rest of the village did anyone even know this was a thing literally no idea how this could work either like what is that tv doing that it's affecting the broadband (laughs) it's got a name Uh, it's It's called shine huh Single high-level impulse noise. Yeah, but right. What is it affecting the phone lines, or was it Wi-Fi affecting Wi-Fi? What was it actually affecting? So this is rural broadband. So the way rural broadband works is it's RF. So you put a a high-frequency uh... RF shot in, uh, and then you have a local mass. So it was the RF shot that was being disrupted. I have a feeling that we our school internet used to be a bit like this back in the day, didn't it? Like done over the air or something. Maybe I'm imagining that, but they, do, they have them now. For yeah, there's a lot, a lot of really good internet out in the mountains and things that use this same technology. But don't don't use a really old TV. I I just don't understand why they're not weaponizing this. I mean, <laughs> imagine you can base yeah, you can like take yeah, down the internet yeah. of a whole like it's a bit like a electromagnetic pulse, but all you've got to do is turn on Piers Morgan. <laughs> it's incredible did the tv stay on all day then is that why the broadband wasn't working it came on at seven went off at bedtime whatever and it wasn't working or did it did that put that pulse at the start of the day 
like dis um destabilized the signal and then it never came back so yeah it was that pulse like turning on and then that desynced and then like i think it came back up eventually um but like seven o'clock every morning like the internet would go off and you'd have to wait for everything to re-establish for the links to re-establish come back up and then uh yeah it took them 18 months to realize they had people walking around uh with spectrum analyzers um, and then it's like seven o'clock and ping. There it goes. Great. Uh, where did that it's come from? Uh, so now we're going to have to try and triangulate. And then seven o'clock, ping. There it is. Uh, it's brilliant. This is not a hacker's could, but this is a hacker's. This is a hacker's should. should. Yeah. Like someone needs to turn this into a thing that we they could just get, like rock up in this village or any other of these villages in Wales that can't get proper internet um, with a cathode ray TV in the back of the car, <laughs> whack it on, and just kill the internet for a day. Of course, because it's in Wales, they, the, the engineer they sent out was obviously called Mister Jones. Um, and at seven a.m., like clockwork, every day it happened, and they were saying that these um, analyzers that they were going around with were picking up these sort of massive bursts of um, bursts of interference so yeah they'd switch the tv on and it would knock out the broadband for the entire village that is an amazing thing that needs to be weaponized immediately <laughs> okay so that's that's my that's my hackers should um my real hackers could is hackers could break into your phone and spy on you through its camera um this was an instagram uh, thing um, that I saw a couple of articles about uh, this week, and Checkpoint were talking about um, talking about it. I think they flagged it to Facebook, and I think it's actually probably been fixed. So in a way, like it's it's clearly not a hacker's code, is it? Because it's if it's been patched, they can't do it anymore. Um, I don't know what, what how actually it worked, Kev. Um, but it uh, yeah, it was a flaw in Instagram. Uh, yeah, it was a flaw in the app. You could uh, construct a specially crafted message, send it off, and then. Uh, if your device loaded it, uh, then it had the potential to to infect devices. Um, so yeah, this is a hacker's could and still could. Um, if you don't update your Instagram, uh, then there's still the potential that you're vulnerable to this. Um, like most app stores are pretty good at auto-updating, but if you're not updating, uh, you could still be vulnerable to it. Well, I want to go back. To, so I'm going to go back to like, again, a lot of these articles, they start with like, they start with hackers could and people read that like, oh, hackers could like get access or, or hack your phone or what, or break your phone or whatever it is. But it doesn't, it doesn't go into so much detail about what the hacker could actually do and what the limitations or lack of limitations on what they might be able to do. But it looked like this one was quite bad. Like they could actually get full access to, you know, Instagram messages and, and, and stuff like that. But is there anything else that it could get access to? This is a third party um, integration. So this isn't strictly speaking, something that Instagram has, they don't have control. It's not their code. It's a third party library that they're using and the vulnerability exists in there. So uh, I think Basically, you could access the entire phone. So all that personal data on the device uh, is yours. Actually, if you, don't, if you don't update Instagram, that is pretty bad. That's a bad one. That is a hacker's could. You know what's quite good about this, though? You, you, the um, newspaper that it's in is The Sun, which I wouldn't have normally expected this type of article to be in. And actually, in the title, 
which it's of the uh, head headline here. It says major Instagram bug. Let's have a sneak on snoop on your phone, which is kind of fine by sending a single image file. And then the last part of the headline is update your app now. So that in its headline literally tells you everything that you should know about this. There's a bug in Instagram. It's already been fixed. Update your app. That should be a bit of a requirement, actually. When you know in these kinds of articles, particularly if there is something that you can do in order to protect yourself against something like this, there should be a very clear indication of you know what that might that what that thing might actually be. Um, so yeah, yeah, good on them. And it, well yeah. done, the Sun. We're saying that the Sun make better headlines than uh, tech news. And on that bombshell, it is time for us to end. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe, rate, and comment wherever you get your audio content. And if you want to know more about Immersive Labs, you can find us at immersivelabs.com or follow us on Twitter at Immersive Labs UK. Until next time, from all of us, goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.